Welcome to the Vineyard Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information on this podcast or other resources, go to vineyardlive.us. To learn more about us, go to thevineyardchurch.us. commending you. You've chosen well today. I'm up against some great competition. Um, I, I think God likes basketball, so I'm not upset with anybody. Uh, but I'll tell you what, this is going to be a real treat today. The Lord's going to speak to you, show you some things that will do eternal life, and you'll be glad you were here. Because you can always watch the line on recording, right? All right. Well, in 1860, an 11-year-old girl wrote a letter to Abraham Lincoln. He was running for president. It was a tumultuous time in America. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Uh, Slavery was the hot issue. Lincoln was opposed to slavery. If he were to win, it would change, obviously change America. Let me read you a snippet of what the young girl wrote. I've got four brothers. Part of them will vote for you anyway. And if you let your whiskers grow, I'll try to get the rest of them to vote to you. You'd look a great deal better as your face is so thin. All ladies like whiskers, and they would tease their husbands to vote for you. If I was a man, I would vote for you too, but I will try and get everyone to vote for you that I can. Well, Abraham Lincoln took her advice, grew some whiskers, a beard. He won the election. Now, let me just explain. This was very revelatory to me because, you know, I've always wanted to be president, but I realized 50 years ago, Diane and I had a discussion about my having a beard or a mustache, and she gave me a choice. She said, it's a beard or mustache or romance. (laughs) Well, through the years, I obviously chose romance. We have five kids, 18 grandkids. I think it was a good decision, but now that I'm a little older and I'm thinking about president, maybe I'll have to adjust some things. Well, obviously, history was changed. I'm not proclaiming that letter itself changed history, but it did change Lincoln. Every picture you see of him uh, in this time and age is, is with a beard. And so little letters can make a big difference. Well, I want to talk today about some letters. They aren't necessarily uh, long. They're little in, in uh, length, but important in context. And they've been written by Jesus to us. That's pretty special, and Jesus wrote us some letters. They're recorded in the book of Revelation, uh, last book of the Bible, and we're in a series entitled The Unveiling of Jesus Christ. The very first verse of Revelation says this is about the revelation or unveiling of Christ. It's to get to know him better, to see him as really bigger, better, more beautiful, and just who he is and what he's done. Our focus is the first five chapters and specifically seven letters to seven churches. Every now and then people say, well, I can be a Christian without a church. That's true. But God's plan is that you work through a church because his church, the church always was, always is, always will be his resource to change planet Earth. It's through the family of God that new members are added to the family and we're transformed and we're brought into the living action. All right? Understand? Good. I I thought you'd get that point. I just threw that one in for extra because somebody obviously needed it. Now, 
Jesus has some things to say in these letters that seem a little challenging, almost a little perturbing. It's like, are you kidding me? But remember, Jesus loves us. We're his bride. He's not trying to beat us up. He's trying to help us, pastor us, take us to the next level, help us to grow up. That's why so many of the letters say, if you have ears, let the Spirit help you hear. All right, and let the Spirit help. So Holy Spirit, you know, help us. We, we need it. We're going to look at the letter to Laodicea, probably the most famous letter and probably the least understood as we dig through this. But we're going to use the pattern that we've established in the other uh, messages. We'll look at the picture of Jesus. We'll look at the problem with those people, the partnership he offers it, and then he even throws in a few promises to sweeten the deal. All right, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I know you're here because you've gathered a group of people that are hungry. I know that you're going to speak to us by the Spirit. You're going to show us things we need to know, and you're going to teach us how to live this stuff in Jesus' name. Well, as a great starting point, I thought I'd mention a few famous verses in the Bible. Of course, there's John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed would have everlasting life and not perish. Those of us that grew up memorizing verses had a favorite, John 11.35, Jesus wept. It was short. <laughs> it counted as a verse. And um, we were really happy to be able to include it on the days we had kind of done, not done our homework. Everybody here probably knows something out of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Here's a verse that I suspect many of you have heard bits and pieces of. I know the things you do. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other, but since you're like lukewarm water, neither hot or cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Most of you have heard that. What do you think it means? Most of you probably think it means get committed, get zealous, get this one foot in, one foot out habit out of your life, get off the fence. Preachers like to say it means get serious about God. You know, get, get serious about faith. It sounds like Jesus is plenty upset. We could use a few other words, but we're in church. So he's upset, he, he's, he's mad at them, he wants to punish them, he's condemning their lack of zeal. You know, he, he wants more, 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 more evangelism, more church attendance, more giving, more serving, more getting your act together, more stopping of sinning, more, 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 right? Doesn't it feel like that? It's basically like you've had your chance, get busy or something bad's going to happen to you. Something about this lukewarm's going to happen. You know, think of lukewarm. Lots of you like hot coffee. A growing number of people like cold coffee. Only one person I know of in the first service liked lukewarm coffee. Almost nobody likes lukewarm coffee. Usually you'd, say, you'd start to drink it, you think it's hot, and you ew, just you throw it back into the cup and you spit it back in. So, lukewarm. It doesn't need much definition. It's just in the middle of everything. It isn't hot, it isn't cold, it isn't sharp, it isn't soft, it's just in the middle. It's just kind of in nowheresville. But it sounds like you don't want to be it, whatever it is, right? So we're going to dig through that a little bit. My question is, does what I've already said about this letter sound like Jesus of the Gospels? Not at all. Jesus seems sort of loving and kind and gracious and good. Here he's like, get with it, I'm going to spit you out. Well, here's a little lesson I've learned in my years as a Christian. If two parts of the Bible don't agree with each other, one of them's not saying, you're thinking wrong on one side or the other. So you go back, get some more help, think a little more, pray a little more, and see what it is. So I'm assuming by now you'd like to know what this letter's talking about. That's good, because that's what we're going to do for the next few minutes. 
He wrote these letters to challenge us, exhort us. He's, he's, he doesn't want to destroy us, so we have to just get that out of our mind. In fact, I saw a definition of the gospel. It says, the gospel is good news, that God is good. He loves you just as you are with a love that can't be measured. If you want to try to measure it, go to the cross. There aren't many people die for somebody else, especially people that hate you. Uh, we just don't die for people. Jesus did. His whole attempt here is to make us worthless. Who, those of us who feel worthless feel hopeful feel like we can actually do this stuff. So let's dig in. To get started, I want to tell you a little bit about Laodicea. Interesting town. It's the seventh of these churches. They say they form kind of a circle. You can see it there on the bottom. Uh, we've now completed this. This is in modern-day Turkey. The name Laodicea means the people rule or self-rule. And you're already starting to get a hint of where we're headed here. Three things about this city were important. It was a wealthy city. The saying was that if you want your checks cashed, you go to Laodicea. Second of all, I have raised sheep. I have seen what is known as a black sheep. The wool is just a different shade. It's much darker. But I've never seen the type of sheep they evidently had in this part of the world. They had glossy black wool from which they made a very high-end black garment. And if you were the creme de la creme of the Roman Empire, you had to have a black garment from Laodicea. They were making lots of money on it. Thirdly, this was an area of lots of mineral deposits. They were making a salve to put in your eyes so that you could see. Keep those three things in mind. They're very important as we go through. The people were stubborn. They were proud. Large Jewish population, probably some Pharisees. That also is important as we go through. Ironically, of the seven churches, Jesus never wrote a nice thing about them. It would be a little tough to get a letter from your bride or your, uh, you know, your, your spouse who doesn't say anything nice. You usually put, as they said last week, that sandwich. You say something nice, critical, then something nice. That doesn't happen here. Okay, so having said that, lots of people think that the Laodicean church represents all of us, the church of today. And there's probably some truth. There's some lack of zeal and some lack of uh, commitment and uh, lukewarmness and do-it-yourself DIY Christianity where we try to cobble this together with that. But by and large, I know lots of you aren't that way. You're trying uh, to walk in the fullness of what God has given us. So it's not just automatically the church of today. We're going to read the letter, then we'll begin to pull it apart and see what God has said. Write this letter to... the angel in the church of Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other, but since you're like lukewarm water, neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That's quite a statement, isn't it? I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that's been purified by fire, and then you'll be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. And buy ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock, and if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. We will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat on my 
uh, with my Father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Wow, interesting letter. And it's no wonder most of us get it confused. I got lost for years reading this letter, but let's take it apart. Verse 14, write this letter to the angel of the church of Laodicea. This is the message from the one who's the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. We've said in all of these letters, Jesus himself writes them. I wrote through uh, uh, John, but obviously he's the one behind the words. He is the yes and the amen to the new covenant, the new creation, the promises. Uh, in Corinthians, Paul would write, Jesus is yes and amen. All the promises are yes and amen because they're in Christ. He goes on and says, um, amen, the faithful and true. Amen means faithful and true. So he's like repeating himself here. He says, I am the amen. I'm the faithful and true one. He, anytime the Lord says something twice, pay attention. You know, in the Old Test or in the in the Gospels, he'll say "truly, truly" or uh, "verily, verily." That means, hey, I'm making a, a really significant point. Now, actually, if he said anything, it's significant. But he's wanting you to uh, really get your ears up. He's the Creator of all things, and we obviously know He created heaven and earth and you and me and all of that. But He's the Creator of the new creation, the new covenant, the kingdom of God, this whole plan of salvation, this amazing grace that He's poured out on us. He's the Creator of all these things. So, as our chief loving shepherd, He's our benchmark, and He's saying to Laodicea, "Your benchmark's a little off. You need a little adjustment in your thinking." So that's the picture of Jesus. Those are our neat revelations. Each of these is a little bit of a snippet you don't get in the Gospels. He's just telling us something else. But then he goes on to the problem. I know the things that you do. You are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you're like lukewarm water, neither hot or cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Most translations add the word for at the beginning of 17. For you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. You don't realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor, blind and naked. You talk about a benchmark. That's pretty low. I wouldn't want to be any of those five things. And he says, they're all of those things. Now, that verse I read before about being hot and cold, that's the fruit of the problem. That's not the problem that they're hot or hot, cold, lukewarm. The real problem is their attitude here. They're, they say, I'm rich. I don't need a thing. I don't want anything. I, I can do everything. You begin to hear, that's not exactly the message of Jesus Christ. See, they're saying, we, we've really done well. We're self-made. Because we followed the rules, we've gotten wealthy. I can do it myself. That's always the goal of the self-righteous. Years ago, I was talking to an individual telling about God's wonderful plan of finances. It, it's sitting right there, open in the Bible for anybody that wants to jump in. Leah mentioned a little bit of it in, in, as she received the offering. But it's be generous. Let the Lord uh, show you what to do with your money. Be a steward. Do what he wants. And he will pour it back on you. And this person said, well, I'm not interested in God's plan. I'm already wealthy. I said, you don't understand. God wants to take you way beyond what you are. He wants to make you a river of finance. And they, they basically walked away and refused the offer. A couple years later, came back to me and said, you know, we thought about what you said. We realized what we'd been doing was doing pretty good, but there might be something better. We've gone God's way, and it's changed our lives. We're just abundant. We're overflowing. I thought, isn't it neat to see God's stuff really work? 
It does, just, but it doesn't work if you just read about it. It works if you do it. See, and the results the Laodiceans were getting is wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. Can you imagine a person like that? And these are believers. These aren't some scallywags that are just kind of hoping to get through in life. These are God's kids. All right, that's the assessment that Jesus makes of them. He, he sees them as poor. They claim they're rich. See, our definition of rich is so far from God's. We just have puny little ideas, and he has these brilliant, big, overarching things. He says they're blind. They, they sell salve so you can see. Did you know Jesus only said two people, two groups of people are blind? The Pharisees, he says that in the gospel, and Laodiceans. It must not be good to be blind. You do want to see, all right? So again, self-effort, self-righteousness, pride, self is enough. Did you know the hardest sin to dislodge in the average Christian is self-righteousness? I'm good enough as I am. He doesn't like it. It won't get you where our righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. Well, let's look a little deeper at hot, cold, and lukewarm because there's got to be something here. If Jesus isn't saying get serious and get more zealous, what's he saying? Remember, he's trying to give hope, not to beat us up. So let's look at it from a different angle, because I don't think he's as angry as we like to think he is coming through here. So what if the word hot means living in grace? You're understanding the new covenant. You're walking in righteousness, peace, and joy. You're resting in Jesus. He's doing the heavy lifting. You're simply allowing God's grace, which means God's ability to do what you can't do. You can't live this life, but God can do it through you. Okay, so grace flowing in us. He does the work we receive. And then what if cold means living under the law? And living under the law is depressing. Where you, It'll grind you to pieces if you try to be right on everything and try to do everything right down to the T. See, law is our doing the work and depending on our own abilities to perform. If those two definitions are true, if hot is grace and cold is law, then lukewarm is trying to live a mixture, basically saying, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm mostly a good person. Or saying stuff like, uh, you know, uh, I do most of the things God asks, so, you know, I'm, I'm a little better than my neighbor, so I'm probably okay. That isn't what Jesus came to do, say, or, or have us be. See, again, lukewarm means living a mixture. And a mixture can get us into a disaster and a hard time. If you want proof on this, we don't have time to go there, but take Galatians, go to chapter 1 and ch the first part of chapter 3. Both of them will tell you living a mixture of law and grace will get you nowhere. Paul is adamant as he writes that. Now, the sad thing is, I have to admit, I've lived hot, cold, and lukewarm. I have been cold at times where I tried to do everything perfect, and I was mad if you didn't do it perfect as well. I've tried to live in grace where you just enjoy things and let God fulfill what he says he's going to do, and just uh, he directs my steps. But unfortunately, I've also spent a lot of time living lukewarm where I would mix the two. I was going to help God. I'm going to make sure that you know, like Abraham, he was going to help God get that kid. Remember, he's promised a kid. He's 99, and he's always trying other little shenanigans to get a kid and do something that'll work it out. 
God's not interested in our working it out. He's interested in our living in him, moving in him. See, law is always based on our efforts. It's always based on us. Did you know that law requires 100% obedience? And James, in chapter 2, says, if you fail at one part of the law, you failed the whole thing. It's an all-or-nothing game. And nobody wants to play all-or-nothing. So we usually settle for a little lesser standard. You know, why did pretty good today? That fails in the law. So why in the world would God want us cold? Why would Jesus say, I wish you were cold? What is, he, what is he trying to say here? It's preferable to Jesus that we try our hardest to live the law and totally fail because you'll become miserable, desperate, and you'll be open to turning to receive God's grace. You hear that? The desperate people. Most people don't wake up in the morning and say, you know, I really think I'm going to find God today. I haven't heard many people do that. They're usually at the end of the rope, so to speak. And they're like, mm, if I don't do something quick. So th there's more hope for the cold than there is for the lukewarm. That's why he's saying cold. He's actually a play on words here. He's saying, if you get cold, I'm standing here with open arms. But at lukewarm, you're fine. God's grace, on the other hand, is a gift to us. It's just, it, it's 100% free. It's, we believe it. We receive it. He wants us flowing in, in grace. Why? Because he loves us. That's how we live the life he designed for us. He has a life far beyond what you think good life is. Far beyond what I think good life is. We get thinking good life is, you know, if I have this and this. No, his is abundant life. That's why I always say he's bigger, better, and more beautiful than you've ever dreamed. Let your mind just go off into, into uh, dreamland and think, how good could it be? It's better than that. See, that's why he wants us hot. He, he loves us. He, he wants us to flow as, as kids living in the full abundance he provided. So he wants us hot, or like it's cold, so we'll turn and become hot. So quick summary. Lukewarmness is mixing law and grace. It, it just, it, it'll get you in trouble if you do. Law is self-effort. Grace is, is God, if you will. It's interesting. People will say, well, you don't want to teach too much grace. They, they call it cheap grace. That's a really strange statement because grace is either free or it's not grace. So it's not cheap or expensive. It's just free. Okay? So you just got to kind of smile when people say it. There's a bigger problem, actually, with something you don't ever hear, and it's probably cheap law where you try to achieve righteousness and holiness by your own efforts. Did you know you got given righteousness and holiness when you got born again? Oh, you're not all you're going to be. Um, we had a little granddaughter over there in first service. She's uh, not even two years old, but she's amazing. She's got everything she's ever going to be, but she's got a long way to go. That's kind of us in the spirit. So keep in mind, it, it, we get ourselves in trouble. Now, part of the problem Laodicea had is they had a high percentage of Jewish people in that city. Nothing against the Jews, but they would have known the old covenant law, and they were trying to mix it with the new covenant grace. And so it could be part of the problem. I'm not saying it was, but they, some of the scholars think that's part of the problem that happened. I want to say a brief word about being spit out before we move on. Spit out sounds kind of like you're going to hell, doesn't it? I'm going to spit you out. And when we spit something out, it's, we throw it on the ground or in the garbage or we don't want it anymore. Well, 
that's not consistent with the Bible. John 6, 37 says, I will, those who come to me, I will not cast out. So I don't think he's speaking of salvation here. I think he's talking about relationship and union, living in the fullness. By the way, if you haven't gotten Diane's book on Wreck for God, which is about union, go get it. it it's, it's a lifetime journey. You won't read the book and suddenly live in union with Christ. But it'll point you in the right direction. See, John, uh, God said in John 10, 10, I want you to live abundantly. Abundantly is living in Christ, letting the Spirit lead, letting him take you into the full uh, realm of all the things he has. Well, Christians today get themselves in trouble. You know, we like to think, yeah, that was Laodicea. I don't even know where it is. It doesn't have much to do with me. No, this has to do a lot with you and me. Because we tend to be people of mixture. In fact, I don't know any human being alive today that probably doesn't live some mixture in some level. I, I sometimes call them mixture people. They know more about the old covenant than the new covenant. They can tell more of you what not to do from the old covenant than what to do from the new. They, they are more focused at the end of the day on the sins they committed than the Savior who saved them. Right? So we, you can tell me, yeah, I, I really messed up here, here, and here. Or, or we live in condemnation. We did something dumb, and we think, oh, man, I don't know if I can get forgiven for that. Did you know there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ? Romans 8, 1. See, the whole Bible is an amazing package, and we're just scratching the surface, living on the little rungs, so to speak. Being a farm kid, you're supposed to live high on the hog. That meant you got up on the top, not wallowing around down there in the mud. All right? And sometimes I think we Christians, we're just trying to barely get along. Others of us are hoping someday if we really work hard and serve in Sunday school long enough, we can become holy and righteous. Uh, wait a minute. You are holy and righteous. Now we need to walk it out, live it out, understand what we have. Or others say, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Those are words that show we don't understand something. See, the Bible says we're seated in heavenly places. I can guarantee you there are no sinners seated in heavenly places. There are some new creations, you and me, seated with Christ in heavenly places. But if you don't get it, your language straight, you think therefore, you know, your, your words speak what's on the inside of you. So again, stop and think what you're saying. Some people say, we need to know the law so you know how to behave. Actually, you need the Holy Spirit to know how to behave because you were given a new heart filled with the laws on your heart, empowered by the Spirit to teach you that stuff. See, it's a whole different world, and we keep mixing law and grace. And so the message of Laodicea is really appropriate for 2021. It's the exact issue. Well, how does Jesus get them out of it? This is really good. I, I love this aspect. In verses 18 and 19, Jesus puts on his salesman's hat. And look at how he, he just makes you want this. I advise you. He didn't say, I demand, or you better get to it in the next 30 seconds. I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that's been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments so you will not be shamed by your nakedness and buy ointment for your eyes you'll be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love so be diligent and turn from your indifference. So partnership, this is our third part. Remember picture, problem, partnership. This is how he's going to help us out of the problem. He loves us. We're his bride. He's, he's smitten with us, if you will. He's offering a better way, and he offers, he advises, he doesn't demand a little bit of a, of a good technique. He's advising. That's what grace is. It's always an opportunity to step into it. 
And here's his recommendations, three things. I say you buy some gold, get some white clothes, and some ISAP. Let me explain. He's telling them to buy things, and they are poor. So how does he expect them to buy? It's free, right? Keep that in mind. He says, I want you to get gold that's been refined in the fire. That speaks of heavenly wealth, heavenly treasures. It speaks of the Father. really speaks of relationship with the Father. Keep that little word in mind. Second of all, and does he know where we live or what? They're buying fancy black, glossy wool clothing, and he's saying, I want you to buy white garments of righteousness. That speaks of identity with Christ. You can find that phrase other places in the Bible. See, he's saying, change the way you're looking at things. Let me take over. And then I said, so you can see your destiny. Remember, these people think they're seeing. They're actually blind. And he said, I can fix that. Get my stuff. Get my eyes have. You'll begin to see. The triune gospel sitting right there. Righteousness, identity, and destiny. Relationship. Working with the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Wow. This is better than anything. He's offering it himself. He's giving everything that the Godhead to these people. Now, I want to point one thing out. Did you know Laodicea was considered the worst church and Jesus offering him the whole uh, enchilada, everything he's giving it to him. He's just saying, I'm giving it all to you. He loves them. He wants to correct the situation and make it good for them. It gets even better. Let's go on. Verse 20, look, I stand at the door and knock, and if you hear my voice, open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with the Father on his throne. Anyone with ears must listen to the Spirit and understanding what he's saying to the churches. So this is kind of the promise he throws in at the end. He's promising relationship. He's saying, I'll come in, I'll eat with you. You know, lots of people try to say this is a salvation verse. Um, it's okay if you use it. If you can get saved off uh, Jesus wept, you get saved off this. I mean, you, it doesn't matter how you get saved. But he's actually writing to save people. And he said, I'll have relationship with you. It just came back from... Uh, a ski trip with my uh, four of our sons and, and a nephew went along. And uh, at dinner times, those were intimate times. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm really proud of these young men. How do I help them? How do I get them to grow up and become really stellar and standout people? If I'm thinking that, what do you think our father's thinking? I can't do much. I'm limited financially, physically, every which way. I did avoid trees. Thank you for your prayers. Um, but Seriously, he's offering to do the hard work. He's providing. He said, boys, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm just kind of, I, I like to pontificate with my kids and tell them all stories and how to live life. And they, they act like they listen. Sometimes they do. Um, but our Father in heaven, he, when he pontificates, listen up. When he provides, take it. He's wanting to do amazing things for us. He's providing everything. He's actually, in a business term, taking, offering you a ride to the top. You want to get to the top fast? I just gave you the secret. You want to do it? Here's how you do it. Invite him in. Let him him lead. Let me summarize this by just talking about a little bit how this applies in 2021. Like the Laodiceans, many of us live in mixture, and that gets us in trouble. But do you know that's mixing the law of the old covenant with the grace of the new? And do you realize the old covenant is obsolete? Hebrews 8.13, when God speaks of a new covenant... It means he made the first one obsolete. What do you do with your obsolete computers? 
Grandkids are playing with them, right? You're not using them anymore. See, the old covenant's based on the law. The new covenant's based on grace. In John 1.17, a very, very powerful verse, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's pretty obvious. Relationship, identity, destiny, all that stuff got tied in together, triune gospel. The old covenant focuses on us, but it's gone. Now we focus on Jesus Christ. So a line I like, it says, you don't need a little law, you need a lot of grace. I'd put that on your bathroom mirror and read it every single morning. Or as Tim Keller, a famous pastor from New York, says, the gospel is the news about what God did to reach you. It's not advice about what you do to reach God. Now, that, let me say that again. Most of us are reading the Bible hoping we can find God. I have news for you. He found you before you were even on planet Earth. And he's been after you ever since. He's pouring out his plan. He's inviting you and he's wooing you. He's saying, buy of me. Invest in me. I'll take you where you need to go. The gospel is the news of what God has done to reach us. That's grace. It is not advice about what we must do to reach God. That's the law. Simple. But we flip it around, and we're always trying to improve. See, our problem is living some law, some grace, trying to do better, promising God that we're going to straighten out, we're going to get it together. You know, I'll just tell you, it's a challenge. For instance, take me. Years ago, before I was a believer, I did some things that nobody would want published in a newspaper. I know I'm forgiven, but every now and then I'll sit there and think, I'll hear this little voice say, Happy, you know, you were really a scoundrel back then. You know, you really think God forgave you? You didn't do anything to make it right. You think he just wiped your slate clean for free? And suddenly condemnation starts trying to creep in, and the spirit will rise up and say, no, that isn't what you have received. You've received forgiveness at the cross. You've been made righteous and holy. You're a son. You're a favorite of mine. Oh, I'm back on track. But it is so easy to slip into this stuff. It's so easy to fall back. Learning to walk in grace takes a lifetime. It takes the Holy Spirit. It takes a church. Why a church? Because in a family, you are shaped, you're equipped, you're prepared. Good human beings come out of good families in general. There are plenty of exceptions. So it's not some hard, fast rule. But the better the family, the better chance you have. The church is a family to bless you, help you, encourage you, pull you out of the ruts, uh, bring you along as a group. I need help from you. You need help from me. We work together to get this thing down, to live this life that God called us to. And, you know, we all have promises. I'll fall out of grace trying to make my own promises come true. I'll fall back in that rut that Abraham did. I'm going to help God. We're going to get this done. No, no. It's by righteousness, peace, and joy, resting in him, letting him do the things he promised he wanted to do. So here's what I want to say in closing. The life of grace, the new covenant, it's amazing. It's the way to live the kingdom life. It's the way to enjoy him. Grace is the way to get um, into the presence of God. It'll bring you the things of God. Law will bring you misery, pain, and problems. Mixing the two will put you in deep water. And I'm just saying, what I would suggest each of you do this week is sit down with a close friend, spouse, 
somebody in your small group, I hope you're in small groups, that you can just share some things back and forth with. I think I'm struggling with law in this part of my life or help me get more into grace over here. Just write a few things down. God will begin to show you what's up because God wants you to live the abundant life that requires you living in grace, understanding what he's given you, how he wants you to walk and where he wants you to go. It'll be good for you. It'll be good for your family. It'll be good for this church, the country, kingdom. We can't lose if we walk in grace because God wants to take us to a place far beyond where we are, far beyond what we understand, and to live the way Jesus Christ designed for his family to live in union with him in such a way that we're just awestruck all the rest of our lives. Doesn't that sound good? That's how I want to live. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you that you've given us so much insight today. You've broken open this letter in a way we can begin to uh, approach it. And Lord, now help us live it out so that each day our lives are more and more like uh, what you're promising here, to buy the gold, to buy the white right, uh, robes of righteousness, to buy that I salve. Lord, we just want to live the way you've asked and the way you've promised that we could. Help each of us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the message today. To experience more powerful messages, go to vineyardlive.us or join our Vineyard Live Plus community to view conferences, trainings, and special teachings.